Well, who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Uh, That question of who who we are, who who am I, is perhaps one of the most fundamental questions we can ever grapple with because it's a question about our identity. Who am I? Who are you? I wonder if uh, I ask you that question, what if you were going to start formulating some sort of answer in your mind where you'd go? Perhaps you'd start with your name something about your family. You tell me something about where you live or your wider national background. You might even go on and tell me something about what you trained as or what you did for work. Maybe if you were getting really sort of abstract and interesting, you might start telling me about your personality, your Myers-Briggs letters, your disk profile, your anagram number, if you're up with the latest thing. Who are you? When it's all over and done here today and we go out uh, there, how are you going to answer that question if I ask you over a cuppa after church? Well, the interesting thing about uh, this question is that in our uh, cultural moment, we seem to have arrived at a point in time where identity is not something discovered in the context of living together in community, but rather something we have to discover by ourselves, from our own minds, and then declare to others to accept. That is, our world tells us there's nothing that anyone else can say about who you are. The only person who can say anything about it is you. And if I say something about who I am, then if you want to be a kind, tolerant and loving person, then you need to accept whatever it is I say. And so we've arrived at the strange place in our world where we can answer the question, who am I, however, we like, with no uh, tentacles based on anything like reality, no anchors on in anything external at all. Even if I tell you who I am, and to you it seems clearly wrong, I'm a wonderful and handsome man who's extremely intelligent, it seems to me that In our current cultural moment, there's nothing you can do but say, well, it's not what I thought, but fair enough if that's what you think. Our identity comes solely from within, which means you can be whatever you want. And I don't know, uh, those of you who uh, are on the internet a lot might have seen this, but a little while back, uh, a man in Japan decided that he was a dog and he spent about $40,000 making a dog suit. And, like, it's really good. Like, he looks like a really good dog. Um, and uh, he went around uh, the streets of Japan and got people to pat him. Uh, and uh, it was a bit strange, but, you know, that's what he wanted to be and that's what he was being, his authentic self. You can be whatever you want, including a dog on the streets of Japan, if you want. And doesn't that sound great? 
Doesn't that sound great? It sounds kind of freeing that, in, that no longer am I constrained by the bounds of what other people say, but I have the freedom to pronounce my own identity however I may choose. It sounds great until you really start thinking about it. Until you realise that, in fact, it's a terribly exhausting experience trying to figure out who you are when the only person you can rely on is yourself, your feelings and your mind. And that no one else, no matter who they are, your parents, doctors, psychologists, friends, community, no one else can help you work out who you are. It comes as no surprise to me, actually, that in a world that says you can be free to be whatever you want and you're the only person who has any say on that, as we've arrived at that kind of location for identity, as we've disconnected it from community, family, society, it's no surprise to me that we find mental health issues skyrocketing. Because it's exhausting, tiring, and an impossible task, actually. And of course, if, we're, if you're a Christian here today, you'll know that actually there's a much better way to figure out who you are than looking inside you, than thinking about it and trying to generate your own identity and forcing others to accept whatever it is that you say. The Bible actually tells us a lot about who we are. And the good news about this is it means that no longer do we have to figure it all out on our own by ourselves, but in fact, the one who made us, the one who created us, God, he has something to say about who you are and the community that he calls you into if you become a Christian can help shape you to be the person that God has called you to be. The good news about the Christian faith is that, in fact, you don't have to answer that question by yourself at all. And what we're going to do in this series is think about how God shapes the answer to the question of who we are. Now, it's going for four weeks. It could go for many more weeks. There's a lot of things that I could say, but I'm trying to keep it very, very simple and uh, kind of, uh, if you think of our identity as a pyramid, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to lay four big blocks on the bottom of the pyramid uh, upon which we could build many more blocks and maybe we will uh, in future series. But over the next four weeks, apart from next week when we finish off Ruth from last week, over the next four weeks... We're going to be thinking about what it is that God says. And you'll be pleased to know, because I uh, am a preacher, I've chosen four words that start with the same letter to describe the next four weeks. So this week we're doing a reflection of God. Next week we're doing ruined by sin. The following week we're doing rescued by Jesus. And the final week we're doing resurrected for eternity. Reflection, ruined, rescued, resurrected. Big picture, lots more 
that could be said. And just for example, uh, let me encourage you to go somewhere like 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the body of Christ being a diverse place. I'm talking about what make who we are that, that's kind of the same for everyone. Uh, the Bible also speaks about our differences and that, that, that God actually has great diversity amongst the people he has made, which is a good thing too. But I can't touch on everything all at once. I'll also say that as we go along, I'll probably recommend you the occasional book that you might like to read if this sort of thing is helping you, uh, you to think about your identity or you think it might be helpful for conversations that you're having. So, who am I? If we're going to answer that question according to what our creator says, according to what God says, then we need to look at the beginning. And the Bible tells us what we need to know to make sense of the world that God has made. And in chapter 1 of book 1, Genesis 1, really what we have here is God answering two, two big questions. I mean, there's, there's many things going on in Genesis 1, but there are two big questions that are pertinent here. It answers the question why we're here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We're here because God made us. And it also answers part of the question of who we are. God made us, and he made us in a certain way. Genesis 1, 26 to 31, let me just read that section for you again because it's pertinent to uh, us, particularly humans. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every, every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. What does this opening passage about God creating us, human beings, Tell us. Well, the first thing we see is God makes us, unlike all the other things he makes, to be image bearers. We bear his image. See verse 27 again. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So there, that's... There's the first and most fundamental building block for our human identity because it's the first thing that God tells us about who we are. Who am I? I'm created in the image of God. And it's notable that in this passage it's only humans who bear that image. There's something special about us uh, versus the other creations. Not the other creations, not good or special or important, not at all, but there's something different about human beings because we get this, uh, we're created in God's image. It's also interesting that in a piece of 
uh, scripture that was written uh, a long, long time ago. But it's very clear as well that it's not just men who are made in the image of God, but men and women. The Bible teaches us from the very beginning that both are equal in value and worth before God, which is remarkable when you consider the context which this was written. We all, no matter who we are, male or female, bear the image of God. And that makes us special, different from a cat or a dog as much as we love Teddy and Wilbur in our house. There's something special about the humans inside it. And as we look through Genesis 1, you'll notice that Nothing else God creates has that gift of image bearing. So what does it mean? Well, there's two things I think we can draw out of the text. The first is that because we're made in his image, unlike the rest of his creation, we have the special ability to relate to God. God makes us, and then what does he do in verse 28? Have a look. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. God makes us, he makes us in his image, and then he talks to us. And as the story unfolds in Genesis 2 and 3, we see more of this relationship that human beings enjoy with their maker that's different to the other things that God makes. Human beings get to enjoy God's presence in a way that other parts of his creation don't. We get to talk with him, to interact with him, to be in the garden with him in Genesis 2. So because we're made in God's image, we're able to relate to God. Who are you? Made in the image of God, made for relationship with God. And the second thing we see is that as God's image bearers in the created world, God has given us a special responsibility in relationship with him to rule over the rest of his creation. God, of course, is the creator and ruler of all, but it's clear in this story that he gives authority to human beings, his image bearers in the created world, to order the created world as, is, as needed. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Our job as humans is to be fruitful, to, have, to increase in number and to, to, to fill and subdue the earth, to make the earth work for us and to continue its prosperity. Not to do it in a selfish way that's bad, but to steward the earth. We do this as God's image bearers, seeking to work for the good of not just ourselves, but for all of the creation which God has given us responsibility for. Who am I? Created in God's image, made for relationship with him, and given authority to bring order to the parts of creation that God has given you responsibility for. It's some pretty significant identity stuff in chapter 1 of the Bible. You bear God's image 
you're different to the rest of creation, you're special, you can relate to God, and you can exercise authority over his creation under him. There's purpose and meaning to why you're here. As uh, others reflect on uh, this chapter and what it means to be made in the image of God, I just thought it was worth reading a couple of further reflections. Uh, From the Bible Knowledge Commentary, they say, Being in God's image means that humans share, though imperfectly and finitely, in God's nature. That is, in his communicable attributes. Life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness and justice. And so have the capacity for spiritual fellowship with him. I think that loosely aligns or roughly aligns to what I've been saying. And uh, John Piper has quite a good article, which I can uh, send you the link for if you'd like, uh, trying to develop this idea of the image of God throughout the whole of the scriptures. And he says this, uh, as he reflects on what is made clear here in Genesis 1, but how it develops through the scriptures. Man is in the image of God means that man as, the, as a whole person, both physically and spiritually, is in some sense like his maker. Just exactly what the nature of that likeness is, we are not told, but we are told what really matters. Even as sinners, we bear God's image. As a result of this image in us, we have dominion over the, all the earth and we have a right to live out our days upon the earth. So what does this mean? Well, as you look around today at the people in church, know this, that they are like you. Who are they? Who are you? All of you, image bearers of God. Every single person you see. And it's not just for us in here. This applies to everyone. When you go outside the doors today and look around, you'll see the image of God. And this is really, really important because the Bible never says that the image of God leaves us. Not when we sin, as we'll look at uh, next time we come back to this topic. And not when things go wrong in some other way as well. You see, when you look at any human being, you see God, a reflection of God, his image bearer. No matter who they are, no matter their racial background, no matter their financial background, no matter whether they're able-bodied or disabled, no matter whether they're healthy or sick, no matter whether they're doing well in life or suffering along, no matter the kind of clothes they're wearing, Everyone bears the image of God. And every single person that God has made, and that includes you and me and every single person you'll see, everyone has the capacity to have a relationship with God. Everyone has the capacity and uh, is called to exercise authority to bring order to the world to exercise their gifts and skills and talents to bring about good in the world. All of them special. All of them made for relationship with their creator. Well, who are you? 
do you wonder sometimes if you really count for much? Do you wonder if you're special at all? I want to say the answer to the question, are you special, is both yes and no. It's kind of maybe not all you were hoping to hear. It's yes and no. You're deeply special in the same way I'm deeply special because you're a human being. God made you, he knows you, he loves you, and you have the capacity for a relationship with him. Every single one of us is special to God. Every single one of us can quote Psalm 139 verse 13 and say that that is true of me. For you created me in my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. You are special because you bear God's image. Everyone is special because they bear God's image. What about what your purpose is in life? Well, in just very broad terms, it's to exercise dominion, to use, which I think is about using your gifts and talents to bring about order and purpose to the world, to the community, to your family, to your own uh, uh, career, uh, whatever the spheres of influence you have. And I think this is amazing. Like truly, I think this is good news that God made me, that he made me like him, that I bear his image, that I have the capacity to relate to him and that he wants to use me to bring about order into this world. I've got purpose and potential because of who God is and because of how God made me. And I think that's amazing, life-changing news. And we haven't even got to the fact that we stuff it up and that we need God to save us. Like there's, there's, It gets even better as we go. But to my mind, the idea that we have a purpose and that we have the capacity to relate to God is so much better than the alternative. Being a mind that needs to find its own meaning and purpose in and of itself without regard to anything around it. In fact, as I consider the question of identity and as we think about it a bit more over the coming weeks, and I think about what the world offers to people today, I think how exhausting the alternative is and how freeing it is to come to God who made us and who sorted out these big questions for us. As I think about identity in the current climate of the world in which we live, my, my mind often wanders to Jesus' words in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus can say that because when you come to him, you're being who you are. And nothing is more freeing and life-giving than that. So if you're exhausted by the me-focused, self-focused quest for identity that our world foists upon us, give up on it and give it to Jesus. Come to him 
and find your identity in who he has made you to be. Someone bearing his image in relationship with him, bringing about order and purpose in the world under him. Amen. Mm -hmm.